as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis, about 80% done now up to chapter 40, I have to confess, I don't remember learning this lesson in Sunday school on the felt board, right? Mommy and Daddy, the baker was hanged and the birds ate his flesh. I don't know how we would like actually depict that. But nonetheless, there's a lot here. Let me begin with a basic question. And, and try to answer it honestly in your heart, not reflexively or, or giving the Sunday school answer, right? And here's the question. Is God in charge of everything that happens in your life? Is God in charge of everything that happens in your life? Now, let me ask that same question in a different way. And I want to ask it in a way that takes it from the theological, confessional biblical ivory tower and puts it more in the context of street level, real life, real time. And and here's how we can ask it. Is God equally in charge of everything that happens in your life, both the good and the bad? And does God have a specific design and purpose in those things? Now, I believe with all my heart as your pastor that how you answer that shapes everything. It shapes your view of the world, your view of politics, of this virus, of sickness, of death, of suffering. I think it shapes how you pray, how you evangelize. It shapes your assurance of salvation. I think it, it shapes everything. Now, the way that the church has traditionally articulated the convictions that I'm talking about have been sort of under the rubric of, excuse me, of God's providence or his sovereignty. And the Shorter Catechism expresses it this way. Question 11, what are God's works of providence? And the answer is this, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful acts of preserving and governing all his creatures, and all their actions. Now, here is my hope and prayer for us this morning. As we look at this next chapter in Joseph's life, my hope and prayer is that we can respond, excuse me, to both of those questions that we just posed with a resounding yes. Yes, Lord, we do believe. In fact, you equally are in control of everything in our lives, the good and the bad, And not only that, but you have a specific design. You have a specific purpose in everything that's going on in my life and in the life of your people. So there's two truths that we want to highlight here from this text that we want to look at. We want to flesh out. We want to look at the practical implications. We want to look at like what they meant in Joseph's life, what they mean in our life. And they both relate to God's providence. And here they are. Number one, God's providence orders our relationships. That's number one. And number two, God's providence governs both the good and the bad. So those are our two points. Let's jump in. God's providence orders our relationships. Now remember at the end of the last chapter where we left Joseph, he had been banished to prison unjustly by Potiphar. False charges. Remember, Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph day after day after day. Joseph fleed. He ran away. He pursued faithfulness, obedience, 
um, at great cost to him because the wife, remember, brought false charges against him and Potiphar shipped him off to prison. Now look at verse 1 in chapter 40 when it says, Some time after this. I think this denotes not a small amount of time. I think it's actually probably pretty lengthy. Remember, Joseph comes to Egypt as a 17-year-old. And parents, just imagine your 17-year-old in this situation. Thrown into a pit, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, shipped off to, I mean, heaven knows what sort of horror and terror in a foreign country he doesn't know. But Joseph is, a, is just a young 17 years old. And here in, in chapter 41, six, verse 16, it tells us that Joseph is in fact 30 by the time he ascends to his position of power. So we're talking about 13 years here. 13 years he has either spent in Potiphar's house as a slave or in prison. And we don't know how exactly how those were divided up, but clearly by Moses telling us that it has been some time, he's, he's wanting to denote for us that Joseph is languishing, that he is suffering unjustly. He's been put into prison by no fault of his own. And so one day, two new prisoners show up, a cupbearer and a baker. Now, you need to understand something, that for that day and age and time, these were the equivalent of celebrity prisoners. This was Al Capone coming to Alcatraz. This was O.J. Simpson being locked up with all the common folk. Because in that um, regime and reign, uh, the cupbearer and baker were very incredibly prominent positions. See, we think about baker as just somebody cooking up a couple of macaroons in your kitchen. The baker was in charge of all the food, all the feasting all the catering, all the social life. The cupbearer was one that had a prominent position literally at the king's right hand. He was not only tasting the wine, but he was a counselor. He was someone who gave advice. And we think about Nehemiah um, and Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in a position to give counsel. And undoubtedly, this is the way cupbearers function. The point is, These were both people that Pharaoh had entrusted his very life to. They were on the deepest part of the inside. And we don't know exactly what happened. It does say, look back at the text, that Pharaoh became angry with them in verse 2. And I don't think this means that, like, the baker burnt the cookies, right? Or or the cupbearer spilled the wine. This is to note that these men did something treasonous, or they were suspected of doing something treasonous, and now they are in prison with Joseph. So it tells us that the captain of the guard comes to Joseph, the captain of the prison, and says, I want you to be the personal attendant for these two famous prisoners. Now, this is something I have not seen over the years of studying this text, I, 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 someone mentioned it in one of the commentaries this week. But isn't it interesting, who is this captain of the guard that is nameless here? I think when you go back and look at 39, you realize this captain who puts Joseph in charge of these prisoners is none other than Potiphar himself. 
See, the, see, remember, this prison was part of the king. It's where the king's political prisoners were kept. And apparently, Potiphar was in charge of that as well. And because of his history with Joseph, he knew Joseph's hard work. I think he knew his faithfulness. I think he, he still suspected his wife, okay, in all this. But his, sort of, his hands were sort of tied. But he puts Joseph in charge of these two prisoners. Now, here's the point. All those years that Joseph, however many they were, that he was in Potiphar's house serving Potiphar, Joseph had absolutely no idea how God was going to use his faithful service to this unjust master. He had no idea. Remember, Joseph is there by no fault of his own. Joseph is thrust into a position where he has to become, I'm going to butcher this term, Egyptianized. I think I did that one right. He, he, he had adopt all the customs and speak the language. He had, he had to take on all those prominent features of what it means to be an Egyptian. And Joseph doesn't know if, how long he's going to be in that house. All he knows is that one day he was a 17-year-old guy, daddy's boy, and now he is at Potiphar's house. And what does Joseph do? He served faithfully. He was obedient He was faithful even in the face of the greatest kind of injustice. And this is just a reminder, okay, just a side note. Folks, there are no accidental relationships in our lives. God puts people in our lives, sometime for a season, sometime for a lifetime, sometimes for a lot longer, let's be honest, than we wish they were there. And we have no idea at the time what God is going to do in and through those relationships. We don't know. But see, God providently brought Potiphar into Joseph's life because Joseph needed to meet Potiphar, and he needed to meet Potiphar so that he could meet the cupbearer. And so many times in our lives, this is not the way we view relationships, right? We view relationships as either an impediment to what we want to do or an accelerator to where we want to go. So often we see people in relationships as either commodities to be exploited and used for our own purposes or to be discarded. Joseph does neither in his life. Joseph is put in a pagan household. The only one who knows that he is there and who he truly is is God himself. And what does Joseph endeavor to do? I'm just going to be faithful. I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to be obedient. And what a call for us. We, we, we don't know what God is doing within our own networks of relationships. Pray for folks that God would open your eyes to say, how, how do I serve this person right here, right now, today? Back to the story. So the baker and the cupbearer both had dreams. Now, let me explain why this was a big deal. In that culture, dreams were viewed as, a, as being sent from God. Um, they were meant to, they thought they were meant to, to hold a picture of the future. And so there was a whole complex science of interpretation built around understanding dreams. And so we, saw, we see this with Daniel and the, and the magicians in Babylon. But these official interpreters were, I mean, they were prominent people in the empire. 
They were, they were sort of the gatekeepers, and they carried their books and with all their symbols and their drawings and their images and, and almost like a sophisticated stack of, of, of tarot cards or something like this. And, and, and so dreams were a big deal. And both of these men knew, they were, of course, knew each other. They were in prison at the same time for the same crime. They were both dreaming the same night, and then they woke up. And I don't know how you share these kind of dreams. What did you dream last night, cupbearer? Okay, I don't, I don't know how this works, okay? But clearly, they were in great distress because there was no one to interpret their dreams. Now, what happens next could be very easy to gloss over, but Moses, interestingly, doesn't gloss over it. See, we, 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 we want to skim past this part and say, well, you know what? What happens here is very obvious. You know, Joseph, he can interpret dreams, and he rides in and saves the day. But we don't stop and pause and think for a second about how this actually happened. How, how did Joseph become aware? How did Joseph enter into their lives? Well, look in verse 6. It says, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, and so he asked. Now, this is, this is, this is amazing. This is, this, is pretty, this is pretty noteworthy. See, Joseph, in attending to these men, noted that they were troubled. He knew something was amiss. How did he know? Because he was curious. He was attentive. He observed. He asked questions. He drew them out. This, Joseph doesn't know what these men did or who they are or what's going to happen in the next scene. Joseph just knows this person has God has placed strategically, providentially right in front of me. Lord, how do I love them? How do I, how do I connect with them? How do I serve them? And, and here's what makes Joseph such a remarkable witness. You see, my favorite stories about people who are unjustly imprisoned, I, I love those stories, particularly the ones where those people come back and exact great revenge. Isn't that lovely to hear your pastor say that? I do, I do love that. I love Andy Dufresne and the Shawshank Redemption. I love Richard Kimball and the Fugitive. I love Edmund Dantes and the Count of Monte Cristo. I'm captivated by injustice. And then how somebody always comes back and eh, sticks it to the man, right? Something just, something right about that. Guys, that's not Joseph. See, Joseph is not animated by revenge and retribution and jealousy. He's not driven by those things. He's driven simply by an understanding that Wherever he is and whatever he's doing, it's by God's sovereign providential hand, and God has called him to be on mission. God has called him to serve. God has called him to connect with the people in his life. And let me just pause here just for a second. And when I, when I describe that kind of person who, who like connects and asks and draws out and is curious, unequivocally, Every one of us would say, we love it when those kind of people are part of our lives, don't we? We love those people. Those people who connect with us, listen to us, attempt to understand us, draw us out, seek to serve us. Joseph was that kind of person. Four Oaks, be that kind of person. 
whatever your station this season, whatever your relationships, and, and you may have an assortment of relationships that God has entrusted to you for this season that quite frankly, you wish you didn't have. You wish you could just sort of pass that hot potato right down the line. When the whole time God is saying, no, 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 no. This is my design. This is what I'm calling you to. This is, this is how you serve me. This is how you serve the kingdom. This is how you serve the people around us. This is what God does for Joseph. He opens Joseph's eyes and he connects with this man. Just, just, just one more thought about this. Folks, let me just encourage you to think less about your situation that you're in this season and more about how God would have you minister in it. Joseph could have wasted a lot of time bemoaning the previous 17 years or 13 years. Joseph could have spent an inordinate amount of time dreaming and wishing what he, is, he wished his relationships looked like. But God said, no, Joseph, it's right here, right now, today. And Joseph moves into it. And then we're going to see how God uses his doing as a platform for speaking. Look back at the text. Look what he tells the dreamers in verse 8. They said, we have dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. You know, if we were going to rephrase that in the vernacular of today, what would we say? I'm awesome at interpreting dreams, right? No, 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 no. See, let me tell you what Joseph is doing here. See, Egyptians thought that not only did gods give dreams, but gods provided interpretations to the interpreters. And so what Joseph is saying here, it's actually a polemic against the, the idols of the age. He's, he's in essence saying, you think, cupbearer and baker, that your little gods, plural, know the future and are sort of pronosticating about what's going to happen. No, no, no. Let me tell you about my singular God. And he's a big God. And he rules over all the other gods. And he's the sovereign. He is providing care. And the reason you are going to be pardoned, cupbearer, and the reason I know it is because of the one true God. Now, give him glory. And as we see from the text, indeed, he is restored. Now, the baker hears this good news about the cupbearer being restored, and he hopes for some good news of his own. So back to the story a second. But obviously, he doesn't get it. And this is an interesting play on words. I think the, the ESV gets it about right, where it says, you also, Joseph says, you're going to have your head lifted up right off your little body. Okay, that, that's essentially what it says. Right, right off of your person. And not only that, you're going to be hung from a tree. What does this mean? I mean, not to be too graphic, but it is what it is. You're going to be beheaded and you're going to be impaled on a stake naked so the animals can eat your flesh. That's, that's what it says. This is how treasonous 
prisoners were treated. Now, let me just say something here. How tempting would it have been for Joseph at this point just to sort of gloss over that part, right? For the baker, when he said, well, tell me, Joseph, what does my dream mean? How easy I think it would have been for Joseph to to sort of tap out and say, oh, man, you're good. You're good. Okay, go on. What harm, right? They're both going to be taken out of the prison the next day. They're both going to be trotted before Pharaoh on his birthday. And by the time the the baker figures out that he's not going to be restored, (laughs) no big deal, right? And here Joseph has the best of all worlds. He gets to be the buddies to everybody, and he's celebrated, and everybody likes him. So easy for Joseph to do that. But he doesn't, and the question is why. The question is why. See, the reason that Joseph had to be faithful in his platform, not just for doing, but for speaking, and this is the same for us, is because the cupbearer was watching all this, right? And there was going to be a moment one day where the cupbearer was going to be in front of Pharaoh, and he was going to give a testimony, and he is, we're going to see it next week. He does give a testimony to Pharaoh. Hey, listen, let me tell you about this guy who worships the one true God. He predicted it right for me. He predicted it right for him. And it's, it's an amazing story we're going to look at next week. But can you imagine for a second if, he, if, if Joseph had just said, <laughs> it would be much easier for me here in the prison if I, just, if I don't go there. Then what does the cupbearer say? Well, nothing, right? It was a 50-50 shot, and Joseph guessed right for me, but he guessed wrong for him. See, it was going to be absolutely imperative that one day this cupbearer march into the presence of Pharaoh and give a testimony of the truth of God and his word. One day, nobody knows it, nobody knows it, this testimony is going to be proclaimed not only to Pharaoh, but to everyone in Pharaoh's court. What do we learn about Joseph's witness here? There's so much. We could do three or four sermons on this, right? Guys, it's so tempting, is it not? Particularly in our current cultural climate where we're feeling pushed on and squeezed and marginalized. When we are facing what we perceive as unfairness or injustice, whether it's on the micro level or the macro level, when we're experiencing those things, guys, it is so easy to direct our anger and our envy out there, right? Out there towards whatever we think is unjust, whether it's politics or the pandemic or current events or masks or vaccines or whether schools should be open or not, or social distancing. And guys, I understand all of y'all are on all sides of those issues. But if you're going to be bold about something, and if you're going to be marginalized about something, here's what Joseph teaches us. Be, be marginalized for the sake of the gospel. Be marginalized for the cause of Christ. Be marginalized by standing upon the truth of God's word. It's so easy to direct our quote-unquote, holy energy out there. When God says, I just want you to testify to me right here. 
in that relationship, in that person, in that workplace, in your school, in, on, in your dorm, on your, in your apartment, wherever that happens to be. By the way, don't hear what I'm not saying. Let me just be real clear about this. This doesn't mean that when we experience injustice that we should not seek recourse. It doesn't mean that. Isn't it interesting in this text that Joseph, Joseph is keenly aware he's not supposed to be there, that he's unjustly there. He, he says, listen, I'm not, I didn't deserve to, to be here. I, I was kidnapped, and I'm a Hebrew and a slave, and all I ask for you to do is to remember me. So make no mistake, when we have recourse to fix what's wrong, we absolutely have freedom to do that. But understand something, we have to ask ourselves, what captures the bulk of our spiritual energy? What, ca- what captures the bulk of our self-righteousness and our righteous causes? See, if we're going to have spiritual fervor towards anything for Oaks this season, let it be towards mission. Let it be towards trusting in Christ. Let it, let it be for the sake of the gospel. That's where Joseph puts his money where his mouth is. He serves to give a platform for the word and for speaking. And there is so much we can learn here. But it begins, first of all, let's don't get ahead of ourselves. Do you see that your current context is providential? Where you are, what you're doing, the people that are in your lives are for such a time and such a place as this. You don't know what God is going to do through them. Point number two, and this will be quicker, I promise. Number two, God's providence governs both the good and the bad. This section of Genesis, Genesis 37 through 50, we've subtitled, God meant good. And of course, that comes from Genesis 50, 20, where at the end of this, of this story, Joseph looks at his brothers and said, what you intended for evil, God intended or meant for, for good. And you know, on a macro level, we all get excited about that, right? Wow, isn't that cool, Pastor Paul, the way God prepared Joseph, and he sent him ahead, and he's going to save the people of Israel, and the Messiah is going to come, and this, I mean, we saved the world. I mean, th- those are, and those are all true, and we're going to get to them. We, we see clearly how God is sovereign over the outcome, but please hear this. We really need to see, for Oaks, how that God is sovereign, not just over the outcome, but over the very means that he uses to get Joseph to where he is. I want you to consider the number of injustices that we have encountered in just these first four chapters of Joseph's story. Think about the astounding number. We have Joseph being stripped naked and thrown into a pit by his brothers. And we understand Joseph was kind of like, you know, I mean, he was kind of a jerk. We we get it, but, but nothing deserves that. Then he's put on the back of a camel or something and taken to Egypt. He's put into a home. He doesn't know the language or the customs or anything. He's made a slave. He's, he's falsely accused. He's now thrown into a prison. This is where we get the pit to prison sort of, sort of title here. Think about all of the injustices that he has experienced. But this one, I think, just had to be maybe the most painful of all. Because it tells us that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. And you could just imagine Joseph's like, I'm so close. I'm so close. And by the way, when I think it says that, when it says that the cupbearer forgot Joseph, 
This does not mean he like forgot, like he has a bad memory. Oh, no, 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 no. I think the cupbearer thought every single day about Joseph. He knew exactly what had happened, but he just wasn't going to go there, right? Why mess it up? Why tell Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, it actually wasn't your providential hand that got me out of here. It was kind of God, and you think you're a God, and so that's probably going to make you upset. <laughs> no, the cupbearer was like, no, no, not, not going there. And how hard this must have been for Joseph, as one commentator preacher indicated, by the end of the first day after these men are released, you know that Joseph's hopes are fading. You know that as he watches the sun goes down, he's watching his dreams go down with them. And it tells us here that he was there for another two years. Now we have to ask, why? Why, why did the cupbearer not remember Joseph? I think the answer is, is so simple, but yet it's so startling but it's the only one I think that provides us any hope and encouragement about anything happening in this season of our lives. The reason that Joseph is still in prison is because that's exactly where God wanted him. The reason that the cupbearer forgot Joseph is because God wanted him to forget. You see, it's vitally important that Joseph not meet Pharaoh just yet. See, he needed to meet Pharaoh when Pharaoh was at a desperate place. He needed to meet Pharaoh when Pharaoh was open to hearing the truth of the word of God. And we're going to see that next week. He, need, uh, he needed to meet Pharaoh at that moment that God had prepared his heart in such a way that, that not only would Pharaoh intuit the truth about what he was saying, but that he would actually put Joseph second in command by which his family, by which the nation, by which the Messiah, and by which the world would be saved. See, if Joseph had been freed and rewarded at this point, who even knows if Pharaoh would have seen Joseph, right? But I can tell you this, it would have been mainly about Joseph. It would have been mainly like, what a great interpreter of dreams he is, and look at what he has done. But God had a greater mission for Joseph to testify to. And that was to go to the court of the most powerful man in the world and to give it to him straight. And we're going to see that next week. And it is an amazing story. I don't think, folks, it's an exaggeration at all to say you and I are here this morning in part, in part, because the cupbearer forgot Joseph. You see, God's providence boils down and extends down to the most minute details of our life over our relationships over the people in our lives over our circumstances yes even over our dreams and what this text calls us to is to have faith to see it how do i know all this is true because it wasn't just true for joseph listen carefully church we're going to end with this it was true for jesus the injustices that Jesus experienced were exponentially more than anything Joseph could have ever imagined. Not only was Jesus betrayed, not only was he crucified, but Jesus had the sins of the world thrust upon his shoulders unjustly from a human perspective. 
But yet, what do we know from page after page of Scripture? Every bit of it planned, orchestrated, and ordained by the sovereign decrees of God. What does Paul tell us? Before the foundation of the world, we were predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, he was already the lamb who was going to be slain. The gospel according to Joseph is simply this. Jesus was lifted up just like the baker so that we could be lifted up just like the cupbearer. See, Jesus is just like the baker in that his head was lifted from him. He was hung on a tree so that you and I, if we just trust in him, could be lifted up, freed from our sentence of sin and death if we would just fly to him. Brooks, that's the gospel according to Joseph. That is the gospel of grace. And by God's grace, may we be a people this season who see the providence of God at work in every situation, at work in every relationship, and we are simply people who say, okay, God, just tell me what to do. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be obedient? What does it mean to serve? What does it mean to use the platform, whatever that is that you give me, to proclaim to the testimonies of the grace of God to everyone I come in contact with. Brokes, may we be that people this season. Let's pray.